Now you get it. Yeah. Okay. So have a seat. So today we get to talk about God's greatest miracle. Now I'm talking, this is what separates time. Okay. This is what rattles the gates of hell. This is what brings true hope into the world. But before I can share that, I got to ask you a question. Is God able to do the unexpected? See, I don't know. See, if God were to ask me, how is the world, could the world be saved? I mean, I'd come up with a lot of answers, right? I could say, well, God, you know what? People, those who earned it, those who maybe had a hard life and went through trials, those who sacrificed, those who maybe didn't get the enjoyment out of this life that they should have, God, you should save those people. That seems like a good idea. What about this? God, how about this? You could wave your magic wand and just forgive everybody because you're all powerful, right? Hmm. How about this? Hey, God, how about you just change the rules and allow those who actually gave an effort to be saved? Seems like a good idea. And the truth is, humanity has spent years and lifetimes and centuries trying to answer this one question, how can I be saved? And nobody has come up with the God's answer. So his greatest miracle, the miracle that allows us to all have salvation, we call it the incarnation. See, the incarnation is this word, but it refers to God has come to this earth and he's become one of us in the same way that we do as a baby. And that's what draws us here together. That's why we celebrate in the Christmas season is that our God and his great plan of salvation has come to this earth as a baby. So let's read through the Christmas story. We're going to read Matthew uh, verse 1, 18 through 25 together, the Christmas story. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged uh, to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, While she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. And all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have relations with her until the son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. See, this miraculous pregnancy of Mary, it draws us in to God's greatest miracle, but not necessarily in the way that you think. You see, Mary, we talked about last week, Mary's conception was scandalous. If you think, put yourself in her position. Here's a young woman, betrothed in marriage, and she is pregnant. Now, I'm going to be honest, most people's reaction to her was not, oh, She must be conceived by the Holy Spirit. No. They would think either it was a crime or an act of passion. 
But the truth is, Mary knew when the angel gave this announcement, she was going to live with the stigma throughout her whole life. But yet, she had faith. She trusted. And we even see in her own words, she accepted her role as the Lord's servant. You know, it's interesting, as we look through the life of Jesus, you know, he carried this stigma as well. The one place Jesus could not do miracles was in his hometown. Think about it. The one place that people knew Jesus the most. They wouldn't believe. And here's what it said. When Jesus was there, they scoffed at him. This is just the carpenter, the son of Mary. Now, I'm going to be honest. Even in today's culture, you are usually referenced by your father's name, right? Even much more so 2,000 years ago in a Middle Eastern culture, you were always referenced by your father's name. This is a slight on Jesus, and it's a slight on Mary to say, hey, he is just the son of Mary. There is something weird that happened in this circumstance. But the truth is, this angel came to Mary and said, something miraculous is going to happen. Something unexpected is going to happen, and you're going to walk through. So Jesus came in a way that nobody knew what to do with. But here's the thing. God is doing something unexpected. But he's not doing something that is out of his character. Because the the angel said the Holy Spirit is going to conceive, right? Go back to Genesis 1. Do you remember the Holy Spirit in the act of creation? It was there. The Holy Spirit was part of creating everything that has ever been. How is it so hard to believe that the Holy Spirit could still be in the business of creation? And while... Mary's story is certainly unique. Keep in mind, all through Scripture, Abraham, Sarah, with the birth of Samuel the priest, even the birth of John the Baptist, God intervened into the natural through supernatural means. So here's the thing. What God did when we talk about the virgin birth, it is unique. It is something that draws our attention in, but it is not out of God's character. And the angel has referred to this prophecy, this Isaiah 7 prophecy. And it was the Lord said, he will give the king a sign. Look, a virgin will conceive, right? We know this as the Christmas passage, right? Here's the truth. When you get to biblical prophecy, there's a near term. There's something that is happening in the life of those who are receiving this truth. And then there's a truth that is happening in the distance, something that is far off that points to God's greater plan. The people of Jesus' day, they weren't waiting on a virgin birth. That concept didn't even come about. If you were trying to write a story about Jesus and you were trying to give credibility that here is the Son of God embodied in human form, this would not be the way to do it. This would actually hurt your credibility. Because they weren't expecting it. But here's what's going on. You have a time in the period of Israel where politically they are under attack. There is a major uh, nation that is coming from the north. Now, any, if you know the history of Israel, they have always been attacked. They have been always under threat. But God said, I am your king. I am your warrior. And I will fight for you. But in this moment, King Ahaz, He does not want to trust. He does not have faith. 
The prophet Isaiah goes to him and says, trust in the Lord. Ask for a sign. Ask anything you want. It's kind of like a Gideon moment here. Okay, whatever you want, ask the Lord to prove to you that he's got this. And the king refused the sign. Instead, he went down to Egypt. He went to some of the other nations trying to bolster an army to defend him. He refused to trust in the Lord. So Isaiah said, well, since you have refused to ask, the Lord will give you a sign anyway. And here it is, a young woman, a virgin will conceive. She will give birth to a son. And he, before he is of the age to know right from wrong, this nation that you're so consumed by, that you're so worried by, that you're willing to break faith with God over, they will be no more. That's the near term. But listen to what we look at. And what the angel reveals to us about this prophecy. There are struggles in our life. There are hardships in our life that we focus on so much that we're so worried about that we keep trying to plan our way around them, trying to figure them out. And I believe part of the prophecy with Jesus is, yes, the virgin will conceive. She will give birth to a son and he will bring peace. He will be our warrior. He will go into battle for us and fight those battles ultimately against sin. And we will have peace with God through this child. Again, both ends of the prophecy. It is a prophecy of Jesus, but it is not one that people were looking towards. And then we look at the virgin birth. We see all of these things that I call them stumbling blocks. A virgin would conceive. How can that happen? A prophecy is fulfilled that nobody expected. What's the point in that? And then we look at what's going on in culture around them. And when you get into the larger the Greek culture, and how many of you remember your mythology class in like ninth or 10th grade? Okay, you remember Zeus and all those people, right? Okay, these are the gods of the day in the Greek world. And to say that there's a relationship with God and humanity and a child is born is actually nothing new. I mean, it's a story of Hercules, right? But here's the difference. In the pagan world, those stories are all about lust and conquest. They're never about freeing the people. They're never about grace. They're never about dignity. They're never about God doing a miraculous work. In fact, they were quite ordinary in how it happened. With the story of the virgin birth, God is coming to earth, but he's telling everybody, I am doing this in a way that you would never expect. The truth is, this story is one of the hardest in Scripture to understand. And I believe if you walk through each one of these, you're like, that shouldn't happen that way. I couldn't have planned it that way. I couldn't have expected it that way. Because God is actually putting a stumbling block. And what I mean by that, it's a truth that we cannot manufacture it. We can't come up with this. We can't claim in any way, any possibility, this is man's creation. I believe the virgin birth is one of those that says this is a work of God. This is a pure miracle. And the truth is, if we have trouble here, what's about to happen is going to rock our world, right? But God draws us in. By making the impossible so that we cannot do what is so common for humanity to do. Make it about ourselves, Because that is what is in us, right? That is our sin nature. We always try to figure out a way that this is a my work, this is a my creation. And this story just prohibits us 
from doing that. But we can't go to God. We can't see this miraculous work that he is beginning here in Jesus. We can't see our salvation as anything other than his miraculous work. So let's talk, when I said this word earlier, the incarnation, Jesus' incarnation, it paves the way for our forgiveness. But what's going on here? You know, the prophet Jeremiah called it the new covenant. Paul talks about it as the mystery that has been hidden for ages. We simply call it the incarnation or Emmanuel, God with us. Okay, let's go for a little theology lesson here, okay? There's a term theologians use, they call it the God-man. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man at the same time. It took the church 300 years to come up with the language on it because it was so weird, it was so unexpected. It is not part of this creation. And here's what they came up with. The Nicene Creed actually gives us what this looks like. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light from light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. This is Christianity's best attempt of capturing something that is beyond our comprehension, that here's God, and then here's Jesus, begotten of God, being of one substance to the Father. He is both. And he came to this earth as a baby. So why is this so critical? Why is it that it is the birth of Jesus that separates our calendar? Why is it that every year all around the world, this holiday is celebrated? And I think for that answer, we go all the way back to Genesis, right? Genesis 1, everything is good, right? God has made creation. He's made all the living animals, the sky, the sea, the birds. Perhaps not the mosquitoes, but that's another topic. But he made man and he made woman. And it was good. And then in chapter 3, all of a sudden, it's not good, right? Because in a moment... When Adam and Eve sinned, it's kind of open like opening Pandora's box. Imperfection entered perfection. And at that moment, there was a rift. God and humanity, was, there was a rift. With him, husband and wife, man and woman, there was a rift. With humanity and creation, there was a rift. And imperfection started to creep in to perfection, causing death. Now, we have a problem because when perfection is what is required, that which is already imperfect cannot do anything to heal that rift. Because imperfection cannot produce perfection no matter how hard it tries. There's an illustration, actually it was a late uh, Tim Keller gave this story. He's imagine there are three swimmers. One is not a swimmer at all, actually. One's your average swimmer. And then one is an Olympic gold medalist swimmer. Now you take them all to Hawaii and you put them on a dock and you say, I need you to swim to Japan. Gun goes off, they jump in the water for the race. Unfortunately, the one who can't swim doesn't really make it but five feet, right? 
and they succumb to the water. Now, the average swimmer makes it out a little further. They make it about 100 yards. But the truth is they don't know how to control their energy uses. They don't know how to swim with the right technique. And they succumb to the water. And then there's an Olympic swimmer, right? This is a person who's trained. They know how to conserve energy. They know how to do the strokes in the best possible way. And they make it a mile or two offshore. But in the end, the body can only take so much. And they succumb to the water as well. Here's the question. Who's more saved? Obviously, none of them. The truth is, swimming was the wrong vehicle. They needed a boat or maybe a plane or something. But swimming was never going to get them to where they wanted to be. So I believe that Jesus is the vehicle we need for salvation. Our efforts, our works, those things are the wrong vehicle. We can try as we want, but again, that which is imperfect can never gain perfection. But listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, he, being Jesus, is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. For he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. See, Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, that no one can come to the Father but through him. He is called the door. He is called the gate. What Jesus is saying is that I'm the vehicle. His virgin birth started a process here. He came into this world sinless. He continued and lived a sinless life. And then he went to the cross, not because he sinned, but because we did. And he died, taking our place, so that he could be the vehicle for salvation, so he could be the perfect one that saves us from our sins. So the gospel and this whole Christmas story is actually an unexpected invitation. Who would expect a baby born in a manger, born in a stable, born in a cave, whatever the circumstances was, it was not the Hilton, I'll tell you that. Who would expect our salvation to result from that? But it started with a baby. God became part of humanity so that he could be the qualified one to save us from our sins. And if I can believe that God became one of us, he was creating life out of nothing through the virgin birth, then I can also believe that he can resurrect me. He can take what is broken. He can take what is corrupt. He can take what is simple and he can make a new life out of it. The virgin birth is a starting point for us. It is why we celebrate. It is why we have the decorations. It is why we have the nativities because they're reminders. And we need the reminders that our God came to earth on our behalf so that we could be made right with God. So with that, we're going to take a moment and we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. You know, a moment ago, we did baptism. And there are two ordinances in the church. There are two practices that are given to us to remember these truths. Back to, baptism, as John mentioned, is a celebration of the gospel. It is us going down under the water and coming up in a new life. When we go to the Lord's Supper or communion, this is one of those acts of remembrance. 
This is a time where we look at what Jesus did and we recognize and we reflect on his sacrifice. We read in Matthew 26 at the Lord's Supper. This is, the, or sorry, at the Passover. This is Jesus' final moments with his disciples. So what he does, he takes what is right in front of him. He takes the bread and he takes the wine and he creates this metaphor out of them that has persisted for thousands of years as a reminder to us. Jesus said, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it and broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take and eat and this is my body. And they took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink all of it for all. For this is my blood of the covenant, that which is poured out for the sins of many. It starts with a baby. It starts with Jesus. God came to this earth. But he came to this earth so that his body could be broken for our sake. He came to this earth so that the only vehicle that could bring us salvation, the perfect one, could sacrifice in our place, fulfilling the requirement of sin and offering us salvation. 